Welcome to the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month, we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now, here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to Innovation in Government. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Tricia Fitzmorris, the Regional Manager for Federal Law Enforcement and Justice at Red Hat. Welcome, Tricia. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion. Some say hybrid cloud is the best of both worlds. Agencies can move those applications that are considered cloud ready into a commercial or government cloud while keeping software that needs to be modernized or is so old that it can never be cloud ready on premise in a virtualized environment. At the same time, the multi-cloud approach lets agencies ramp up during peak demands and come back down when the spike ends. Additionally, the move to hybrid cloud lets agencies manage security risks in a way that shares and disperses the threat. In fact, OMB's Cloud Smart Strategy says agencies should be equipped to evaluate their options based on their service and mission needs, technical requirements, and existing policy limitations. Computing and technology decisions should also consider customer impact, balance against cost, cybersecurity risk, and management criteria. Additionally, OMB says in its Cloud Smart Strategy that agencies need to weigh long-term inefficiencies of migrating applications as is into the cloud environments, against the immediate financial costs of modernizing in advance or replacing them altogether. There's a lot to think about there. And let's add to the fact that agencies will need their industry partners to make this move to the cloud successful. So with that context in place, let's turn to our guest and she will tell us all about the benefits and potential of hybrid cloud. Trisha Fitzmaurice is the Regional Manager for Federal Law Enforcement and Justice at Red Hat. Trisha, Hybrid cloud feels like something we've been talking about now ever since we've been talking about cloud. I think it goes back to maybe 2010, though. I guess some of us could argue it goes back to the 90s with the alternative service providers, but we won't go down that path too much. But it's not, so hybrid cloud, not a new term, but there is this growing acceptance, this growing presence of this dual system. Why, why are agencies in this hybrid world? Yeah, I would say that, you know, uh, at this point, and, and as you pointed out, since really 2010, agencies have been in uh, you know, have incorporated a hybrid cloud infrastructure uh, in architectural design kind of by default, not necessarily by end state design. Um, you know, everyone with their uh, managed service providers or their on-premise data centers, uh, you know, started to test out the uh, viability of workloads to sit in a public cloud environment. And now we're seeing as it's more widely accepted for uh, mission critical workloads to reside in a public cloud, now it's really time for agencies to really carefully look at what their overall hybrid cloud strategy is going to look like and design not just for how it meets mission needs of today, but what their mission needs may be tomorrow. One of the things that I think OMB has put out in their cloud smart strategy, which is a big difference than the cloud first strategy, was making that decision exactly. Which applications are ready today? Which applications could be ready tomorrow? And maybe which will never be ready? Uh -huh. And I, I think that's why that hybrid cloud, as, a, as I've heard over the years, people, agencies will stay in it for, for you know, maybe a decade or more, and, and some agencies will never get out of it. Is that the discussion you're having when you talk to your clients in the federal law enforcement and justice world? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that there's a lot more uh, introspection now on workloads. At first, there was a lot of, let's just get to cloud. We need to get to a public cloud. And, and now we're really seeing that uh, some agencies that have moved to cloud, that maybe that wasn't the best financial decision or really functionality decision based on the workload they may have moved there. And you've seen uh, federal agencies moving workloads back from the cloud and, and back on premise for a cost savings there. A cloud strategy is really the most important decision that an IT uh, manager is going to make in the federal space. So designing how they are going to develop a flexible hybrid cloud infrastructure that will enable workload portability becomes very critical. So as they're looking at 
uh, the workloads that they have legacy today and maybe you know uh, making decisions around does that legacy system make more sense to reside here in a data center and maybe they don't close the data center they were looking to close um, but then also you know which applications do they look uh, to move uh, and maybe refactor or repurpose break down into microservices and deploy them out into multiple clouds but doing so in a way that enables them to be able to have multi-cloud portability you bring up the idea of cost savings. I remember when we first started talking about cloud first, it was all about cost savings, cost savings, cost savings. Now I think agencies have been able to step back and say, okay, it's not just cost savings, it's really about the mission side. And that leads them to the decision, okay, what belongs in the cloud and what doesn't, and what types of cloud does that does, does this specific application or, or this mission area belong in? And, and that really leads us to the discussion around fit for purpose clouds. Let's describe that concept first, and then we can go into why, why they matter. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, as, as cloud started to be, public cloud started to come into play in the federal space, it was really, I think that it, it got kind of chunked out where um, Microsoft workloads were going into Azure and you had uh, agencies looking at, you know, new 12-factor applications and putting those into Amazon because um, they felt it was easy to get to Amazon. But now you're really seeing, I mean, large contract awards like Jedi to Azure. You're looking at that as, you know, now mission-critical workloads are sitting across any public cloud out there. And so now you really have the flexibility of taking a look at, you know, what's the best resource for the job for a particular application that you're, um, you're looking to move. And what I've heard is certain clouds are certain are better for certain things. I've heard if you do customer relationship management, you want to be maybe in one cloud over another. If you want to do financial management, again, maybe one cloud over the other. Is that still the case? Do you, when you again talk to, to clients and talk to agencies, do they get that, or they're just going, "Well, I just want to put it in the cloud," and and you have to kind of help them direct them to the proper what makes them what's the fit for purpose cloud. yeah I, I think that that's I mean there is a mixed bag of that but I do believe that still most agencies are just trying to figure out how do we get to cloud <laughs> um, I, I think that the the more complex areas of you know are specific clouds better at analytics are specific clouds better at CRM um, you know that remains to be seen and, and that really is kind of what's playing out in front of us now. I think that one of the most important factors is the no lock-in. So, um, you know, just as important as finding the right cloud for the resource that you're looking at uh, deploying, you want to ensure that you're doing it so in such a way that is open, uh, that is open standards-based and flexible so that you have the ability that maybe that cloud today in 2019 is the best cloud for that workload, but maybe in 2025 it's not. And you want to have the ability to own your own IT destiny as an agency. Well, definitely want to go down the path of the interoperability and open standards piece. That's big for Red Hat, we know that. Before we go there, as agencies kind of look at which cloud makes the most sense for them, are there some best practices or are there some trends you're seeing about how to make that decision? Yeah, so I think that that all comes into play as, um, you know, as any of these agencies that are entering these IT modernization efforts, there really is this upfront part of where are we now? And it's really important for an agency to take stock of where are they, what are their legacy applications look like, what is their future, what is their desired future state um, based on the mission needs that they have. Um, and so I think that that really is what's dictating it more than necessarily IBM is the best for analytics or Microsoft is the best for email, things along that line. You really, they really have to look at what, what is the best for our future state mission and the problems we're trying to solve. 
And, and what I'm seeing from agencies when I talk to CIOs and others is that that customer, that, okay, what is the mission? We've heard for years, IT is just an enabler. Well, no, actually IT is the mission, right. but it's not the only piece of the mission, so what are you trying to accomplish? What's the outcome? I hear a lot of discussion around outcomes. In the federal law enforcement, that becomes even more important mm -hmm. when you talk about Justice Department and, and DHS and other places uh, as they try to, what, what are they trying to accomplish? Do, do you, are you seeing that in whether it's RFPs and RFQs you're reviewing or in RFIs or even just conversations you have that they're asking the right questions to get to that decision of, of what's the end result we're trying to get to? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see I'd like to see more of it. I'd like to see more flexibility, really, in in not just the the linear thought of you know which cloud should we reside in. I'd like to see you know. Mission needs are always changing. Um, you know, help us figure out a, a pathway to not only get to cloud, not only help realize cost savings in the here and now, but also in meet mission in the here and now. But also, what are you know, what do we need to think of ten years from now? What aren't we thinking of when it comes to uh, workload portability? When it comes to openness and and flexibility? Um, I'd like to see more of that kind of. Um, in my opinion, kind of protecting of their future state um, and their future missions by leaving themselves open for change. We see that in, for instance, the big telecom network contract mm -hmm. that GSA is running called Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions. Mm -hmm. That's a 15-year contract. So right. the technology, and, and GSA has said this, the, the technology today is not going to be the same technology right. in five years and 10 years and mm -hmm. 15 years from now. And that brings us around to this concept you brought up earlier of interoperability, open standards. That's why that is so important. I mean, we know Red Hat built its right. its entire business model on this idea of open right. standards, but when it comes to cloud, that becomes even more important. So you're not, you know, just stuck in Microsoft or stuck in Amazon or stuck in IBM. Absolutely. So you know, I mean, it was even back to 2010. You know. Uh, we were, you know, talking about the fact that cloud has the potential to be the mother of all lock-in, and and we really, I think that that's very spot on. Um, you know, I I liken it to um, talking about supply chain, logistical supply chain, back in the early 2000s, where you saw in the um, in the DoD and in the federal space some of the ramifications of outsourcing really key parts of your overall supply chain. And, and I look at these modernization efforts in IT today, and I think this really is outsourcing a very large part of your supply chain um, for an IT uh, organization. And so you want to be able to do it in such a way that if it's not meeting the needs of the future, that you have the ability to take that and move um, that mission critical system to wherever it may be in order to fit what, what you need that mission you know, what you need for in order to accomplish that mission. We saw some hiccups early on. I know uh, a couple agencies who had moved the financial system into a cloud and mm -hmm. then the company went under and they had yeah. to pay to get their right. data and their systems back. Are, are you seeing agencies doing a better job of putting in certain provisions, certain language in contracts to say, we own the data, we own the, the if you will, the IP that, that underlies, that, that lives in the cloud? Or is that again, part of that learning curve that it's coming, but it's just it's it's more of a slow roll. Um, I haven't personally seen that in in uh, RFPs today. Does that yet. worry you a little bit? Yeah, that. Well, I mean, I look at it and say I think that it is. I think you hit it on uh, the nail on the head of that is really part of the learning process. You know, I mean, there are things that you just really can't um, predict, right? Companies going under. Um, companies choosing to move away from a particular mission area of the federal space. I mean, there, there are things that you can't predict that happen out there. Um, but by you know defining your IT strategy around open standards really does offer you the best protection for that future state that you may 
not on, you know. You may not know how it's going to change, right? I think that's a a big concern as as things uh, are are changing. One of the other things that comes up around this interoperability and and open standards is this idea of portability, right? Mm -hmm. How easy it is to move from one cloud to the other, and I think it goes back to the fit-for-purpose cloud discussion Mm -hmm. we had earlier. Is portability the, the key reason why interoperability and open standards makes the most sense? Because you want to be able to move from cloud A to cloud B, like, you know, you, you and I change cars, right? Today mm-hmm. I'm driving a Honda, tomorrow I'm driving a right. Toyota, but it's still a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's very, very important. Uh, workload portability is very important. Um, so is the ability to make it easier for the developers and the operators, right? You want to be able to be able to create a, a logical plane that can uh, unified platform across all the clouds so that your developers and operators don't have to learn multiple tools just based on the cloud that you're using. So having solutions like that that provide that ability to move a workload to any cloud but still give that same level of comfort to your developers and operators becomes very important to um, speed in terms of uh, supporting your IT mission. And when you talk about cloud, I was just at a recent conference where someone from DOD spoke and they said the big issue was speed, speed capabilities, mm-hmm. and that's why the cloud's so important. You make up a great point as well about developers. We're going to jump into those things in the next segment. First, let's, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Cloud-native development is obviously cloud-first, but it's not cloud-smart when the tools lock you into a particular cloud provider. Hi, I'm Paul Smith from Red Hat. For cloud-smart, cloud-native development, federal agencies overwhelmingly choose OpenShift. It goes where you want to go, whether on-prem or any major cloud provider, or both, all on your timetable, not of vendors. Learn more about cloud-smart, cloud-native application development from the experts at redhat.com slash government. Welcome back. You're listening to Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today... Trisha Fitzmaurice, the Regional Manager for Federal Law Enforcement and Justice at Red Hat. Now, Trisha, before break, we're talking a little bit about the idea of hybrid cloud, why it's important to understand that, one, agencies will be there for quite a while, but two, which hybrid cloud makes the most sense for which application and where to sit and why you need to sit there. The other piece of this is agencies are not going to be doing this on their own. You know, they may have an internal cloud, but they're probably going to have an industry partner. They're, they're going to have an external cloud. They will have an industry partner on that. What's the when it comes to this idea of systems integrators and, and multiple vendors? What reasons are, if you will, do, should agencies keep in mind, or what, what do they have for this kind of the balance that they have to achieve between internal, external, and everybody in between? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, I think in the past you saw, you know, on on the IT house you saw kind of two types of contracts. SIs would either have this large O and M contract within an agency and management of a data center, or they'd have you know, uh, a system build, a new system build type of uh, contract. And now with these IT transformation efforts and as DevSecOps is at the forefront of all of them, you're starting to see these SIs really need to come to the table with the ability to uh, speak to the agency around their own lessons learned on how they've transformed their own internal organization um, or other uh, best practices that they've used in other IT modernization efforts. Because it it truly is a, a... a big effort. These IT modernization efforts are um, really, it takes people outside their comfort zone. You're asking developers and operators and security individuals to work together in a way that they've never done so in the past. Um, And these SIs have to be able to, in my opinion, it's baseline for them to be able to come in. That should be expected that they can come in and have those conversations around how they truly can take an agency on this journey and do it well. 
It's the old uh, walk the walk, talk the talk. Eat your own dog food. Yeah, I was, I was going to drink your own champagne. You got me on that one. Uh, how often does that happen, though? How often do SIs, re SIs realize that they have to, like, here's an example of how we transformed, and here's why those lessons can apply to you. Because you know, for many reasons, the government's a much bigger organization than, than many, many, many companies. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen, uh, you know, Red Hat sits in the center of a lot of these IT modernization efforts, and so we see it firsthand. Um, how necessary it becomes. And, and Red Hat has, um, you know, been doing uh, a great job of working with these SIs on, on helping infuse that type of collaborative uh, culture that is just part of Red Hat's DNA. Um, and so we've seen that these SIs truly start to understand that, hey, you know, how we've done business in the past and with our siloed business units, well, now we have to be able to say that, no, we have these practices internal. Um, and I know that you know you've probably heard this from our other industry partners of not just be able to teach them how to build the plane, but actually how to fly the plane as well. And that takes really the SIs being uh, arm in arm with the agency um, that they're working with and supporting to be able to show them how to take not just um, create this new culture, but truly take it and and have it move forward in a successful way. You bring up this idea of the two types of contracts we used to see, kind of the large O&M, keep the, keep the plane running, right? right? And then the other one, build a new plane. I was at a recent event where they talked about some trends in the federal market where agencies are starting to use O&M dollars for what they call DME, right? Development mm -hmm. Modernization right. Enhancement. And I think that's a very interesting trend, and that's where I think that, that experience of mm -hmm. a systems integrator, of a Red Hat, can come in and say, oh, well, we've made that move as well because, listen, no one ever says they have enough money, so right, money's right. tight. Is that a conversation? Are you starting to see that kind of, hey, we're using, for lack of a better word, O&M dollars or CapEx dollars mm -hmm. to, to modernize? And then the SI has to come and be like, okay, we did it this way too. They're making the connection. Yeah, I think that, that now there's, um, I think just in the nature of these IT transformation efforts and, and these um, efforts that are underway at these agencies, they're starting to see that you have to be creative like that in order to accomplish something. I mean, it's not the same type of you have this O&M bucket and you have the, the DME bucket. You have to truly look at um, how is this all going to play together? And it's going to take a, if you're, you know, being able to, if you're automating and optimizing inside a data center and realizing some cost savings, absolutely those dollars should be going towards innovation. And so I think it's just the nature of, what these agencies are asking. You brought up this idea of culture change. It's a huge issue. We, we talk about it all the time when it comes mm -hmm. to IT. It's never the technology, it's always the culture, right? Uh, but in this case, uh, where I think you're, the path you're going down to is, is ensuring that the systems integrator has the right tools, techniques, capabilities, skill sets in their workforce to help the agency transform. And that takes us, I think, to, to a, another area of DevSecOps, this idea of development, security, and then uh, operations. Talk a little bit about that culture change that, that the, the, the SIs have to come to the table with those skill sets to really ensure that it goes back to what I think we talked about earlier, speed and capability. Absolutely, I mean, I, I think that as an SI is leading um, a, a large transformational effort, um, they have to be very skilled in crucial conversations that are gonna happen between these individuals. You know, you're asking for individuals that have uh, in the past never worked together, never needed to work together, um, were um, sort of KPI'd on different metrics than each other and not, and those metrics may not have been beneficial to the other groups, right? Development needed to just get out as much as, the, as they could out the door because that's how they were metriced, and operations needed to handle whatever came over the wall to them. 
uh, in an you know as efficient as they could. So now you're asking them to come together, create these social contracts, and it becomes very important that an SI understands the breadth of what does the entire process look like from development all the way through operations and how security blends into that in order to be able to say, these are the things that are happening today. This is not going to be how we are going to get to where we want to go in the future. What conversations do we need to have and what changes need to be made? And agencies are looking to those SIs to be able to help them have those conversations with their individuals because it is uncomfortable. I mean, lots of people don't want to have to change their job that they may have been in for a number of years. Um, but it's necessary if the agency is going to look to make the changes they want to make. It's not only the job that they've been in, but also the processes they've been following. And DevSecOps is a whole different process because you have to understand that, okay, we're going to create something, we're going to check it auto, maybe automatically with mm -hmm. the security side, and then we're going to put an operation. And that could happen multiple times a day, it could happen multiple times a week. And that's different than the kind of what we've commonly referred to as the waterfall, or even some of the other DevOps where it's, oh, we're going to every three weeks, or every month, or every six mm -hmm. weeks. That's the other piece here I think that's, that's key that, that people have to get their head around is how quickly that the things can change and how they have to be okay with that change. Right, absolutely. I think that you're not just in including um, in this entire process new technologies that they have to learn, so a new skill set, but also retooling them into the thinking that, okay, we are going to, you know, they, you hear a lot of like the fail fast, fail often, right? And the, the um, ability to take kind of take that idea and say, okay, well, we're gonna move forward with this and if it doesn't work, we're gonna go back and make a change and, and uh, go in a different direction. I think that that's uncomfortable for people that, yeah. that haven't had you know that type of uh, scenario in the past. When you are talking with your clients in, in the federal sector, what's their take on DevSecOps? Are they ready for it? Or are they still, well, let me see how it works first. Or you know, are they getting into the nook and crannies of the the process? Walk, walk me through a little bit of what, what kind of trends are you seeing? I think that they're. I think they're ready for it. I mean, I think everybody is is ready for it. Um, you know, at maybe even at an IT decision maker level, I think it's really what you have to look at how you're going to infuse the passion around doing something like this and really changing um, how an agency is going to operate um, down into sort of the the individuals that are responsible for the doing. At, it's at it's the passion, point. but it's also the trust. How do you infuse the trust? And right. I think that. Going back to your earlier point, if the SI comes in and says, well, we use DevSecOps every day, there's a great story, and I think it's actually a Red Hat story, because when we had other people on about Lockheed Martin or Boeing and, and uh, some work you guys did with them to help fix their um, uh, software development, it's a, it was a great story that you guys told around this Rami idea. F-22. F-22, yes. sorry, Rami yeah, F22, yeah. F-22, yeah. It was one of those airplanes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but the point is that you, you say, listen, we do it, we can show you how to do it, and we can make it better for everyone, and, and I think that, that's part of the key. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I've seen it uh, firsthand, you know, from um, the federal law enforcement agencies, you know, looking at um, really how do they how do they infuse a DevSecOps culture into their organization, and how do they take the fear that individuals may have about their current job and what that may look like in the future if they start to work together in a in a different type capacity. But as you know, you start to break down those barriers and people start to understand exactly you know where their fear resided initially, um, and you break that down and you uh, are able to build up that trust of working together in this collaborative type nature, and they start to see the results. You start seeing it like it, always the first one is the hardest, yep. right? And then you see that after that one, you see that, oh, hey, that was very successful. We were able to get a workload, you know, through a security ICD pipeline out into production in a matter of days 
we want more. And then you start seeing, you know, from, from what we've seen, you start seeing other systems and other, you know, uh, other system owners show up like, well, I, I want to be next. I want to be next. I want to be next. So, um, and it's, it's really an amazing thing to watch because it just kind of is transformation bit by bit within these agencies. It just takes that early win. Yeah. Well, the other piece of this, and we talked a little bit about it, but it really is the workforce. Does the SI, does the agency, do they have the right skill sets? Can they bring in the right people? Can they train the people? We've seen some, some challenges with uh, the, the administration, Cybersecurity Reskilling Academy as an example mm -hmm. of getting the right people in the right position. What are some of the workforce challenges you're seeing and how, how do we overcome them? Yeah, I, t I think that, um, you know, a big, a big hurdle um, coming in is that, you know, as you're getting, uh, you know, new individuals entering the workforce, they want to work on all the cool DevOpsy <laughs> type things. And, and really there is still the need for um, the O&M side and the, you know, the patching and the automation of, of that side and configuration management. Um, but, you know, I think that the SIs, uh, the challenge there that they have is simply overcoming the barrier of ensuring that as they are hiring new talent, truly infusing that culture of collaboration and meritocracy within their overall organization to make it a place that individuals want to work. Because you start to see as people rally around a, a common goal or a common mission and feel part of a team and feel that they have a voice and they're able to take the risks that they want to, they want to take, um, you see them as you know, happier employees. And so I think that SIs have to look at you know, how to really kind of change their own culture internally to ensure that that's what um, that they can retain the talent that they want uh, to retain, as well as also portray themselves to the agency that they're trying to work with. In many ways, they, they can be the example that, that can say, look, we brought in these people, we trained them. Exactly. And now, look, look, we can bring you these skill sets. Exactly. At the same vein, agencies also need to have the right talent to work in this DevSecOp, DevSecOp environment. And I think one of the things I hear from CIOs quite often is what well, we're trying to build our capacity. We're trying to do more training. Mm -hmm. When you talk to agencies, again, what's the conversations you're having with them about their capabilities of the workforce? Yeah, I think that one of the most important things there is to look at um, for their individuals. The training becomes very important. And I think that during these modernization efforts, it's really important for an SI to not just come in and do the work, but also be very cognizant of the fact that you need to be able to skill set transfer over to the government individuals that are there at the agency because it is of no help to an agency to expect that the paradigm is always going to be you come in and stay for uh, 10, 15, 20 years on site. The government needs to be able to also have skill, a skilled workforce to do this work. Um, and so there's, there's that portion of it. Um, but then also when you look at it, you want to take a look at the fact that um, from a government agency side, they have to invest in their employees to get these new, you know, be able to obtain these new skill sets um, in, in order to be able to ask the right questions and know that what they're getting from their SIs and their vendor partners that they're working with is the right solution for them. And that, that comes back to the beginning of our conversation with hybrid cloud, the right solution. What are you trying to get to? What's your mission outcome? Christian, unfortunately, we're out of time, so, uh, but this has been a fascinating conversation. So first, uh, let me thank my guest, Trisha Fitzmaurice, the Regional Manager for Federal Law Enforcement and Justice at Red Hat. Trisha, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm Jason Miller, you've been listening to Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search innovation. 
Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword innovation. 